Welcome to the Hello First Name Podcast. The Hello First Name Podcast revolves around the term personalization and is brought to you by marketing author Rasmus Holin, founder of Omnichannel Institute and chief experience officer at the marketing automation software company Agilic. The podcast is based on the book Hello First Name. Each episode is based in turn on a chapter from the book, followed by a discussion of the very same chapter with an expert marketing practitioner in the following episode. As always, you can buy the book on Amazon or other bookstores. You can also choose to listen to it all for free on your favorite podcast service. You're also very welcome to download the abstract of the book for free, and all models, of course, are able to download. All downloads are sponsored by Agilic. I'll make sure to put a link to everything in the show notes. But you can always connect on LinkedIn, and I'll be happy to reply and help out. Chapter 2. What is the problem with personalization? As we mentioned in the previous chapter, the potential problems with personalization are manifold. First, let's have a look at marketing practitioners. These come in several types, as the field of marketing has become huge since the digital transformation started at the beginning of this millennium. Later in this chapter, we'll look at whether personalization is worth it and how this book aims to contribute by uniting marketers behind a common definition. Three branches of marketers. Digital marketing started out with three branches. One branch was concerned with building organizations' websites as an online presence and hence was of a fairly technical nature. Keep in mind that this was way before content management systems were invented. Anybody who wanted a homepage had to understand hypertext markup language, HTML, which is, in its essence, a mixture of text and layout. They also had to know a lot of technical stuff about how to put a computer online and make it function as a server to make the HTML files available from other parts of the internet. Content management systems appeared during the early 2000s. These are systems that separate content from presentation and thus make it easier, or at least easier, to build and manage corporate websites and e-commerce stores without having to code any HTML. The whole notion of the user experience UX emerged on top of this. UX is all about designing homepages in a user-friendly manner such that users can find what they're looking for and achieve their goals. This whole practice later grew into what we know today as the CMS business with its web agencies, system integrators and dedicated UX and CX digital design agencies. There was a business purpose behind putting those web pages on the internet as they served as a digital brochure that anyone could find and thus be prompted to get in touch with the company. But Due to the technical rather than human-focused nature of the early CMS business, these marketing practitioners were less concerned with telling the results of their efforts via clearly stated business goals and key performance indicators measured in money. Their main driving force was doing the right thing to make the user happy. If they knew who the user of the homepage was, it would be interesting to dynamically show them content on the front of the page that matched their preferences, or in the case of e-commerce, show them products that they might like. This was just what the marketers had seen Amazon.com do. So they were definitely interested in personalization, but from the UX perspective rather than for commercial reasons. The second branch of marketers was occupied with driving traffic to their company's homepage. To begin with, this meant making sure that the homepage was listed and categorized correctly on the directory pages that later came on to be the large search engines, such as Yahoo and ultimately Google. This practice attracted people who were into advertising, not so much the creative and brand-oriented madmen as those who were responsible for distributing the ads and generating footfall in physical stores. When the internet came along, to begin with, these marketers were primarily concerned with getting listings into online directories and subsequently purchasing the premium positions and category captainships. The idea was to make their company stand out and get traffic to its homepage. 
With the evolution of online directories into proper search engines as we know them today, the main function of these people transitioned to that of buying advertising on search engines and news portals. This branch of marketers ultimately grew to become the ad tech aspect of marketing, centered on media agencies collaborating with ad agencies and advertisers, companies that advertise. Since the beginning of the digital era, this branch of marketers has become accustomed to measuring every single exposure and click that an ad generates in order to optimize media spending for the advertiser. However, this has traditionally been at an anonymous statistical level where the individual user or customer cannot necessarily be identified. It is thus conceptually quite far removed from the field of UX. In addition, a large part of advertising is concerned with improving brand awareness and potential customers' feelings towards a brand, so as to boost long-term success and not necessarily drive a purchase here and now. Thus, brand advertisers often measure soft proxy metrics instead of real conversions, i.e. people who click an ad with the potential intention of making a purchase. However, being able to show different ads in different places for different people drives better statistics, no matter which metrics you're looking at. This brand of marketers was therefore definitely also interested in personalization. The third branch of marketers used to do database marketing. They had a database of known customers with physical addresses and perhaps a little extra demographic information. This made it possible to divide customers into segments, see chapter three, and send them posted letters, so-called direct mails, to encourage them to buy a certain product or subscribe to a certain magazine or service. Software was developed to automatically print people's names and perhaps even their personal data, such as occupation or title, on the front of the envelopes and inside the letters. The idea was to make the communication feel more personal and thus drive higher open rates and conversion rates, as in converting non-customers into customers. With the advent of email as a common method of communication for both people and companies, the direct marketing discipline initially evolved into email marketing and then into a more channel-rich form, namely multi-channel marketing. Multi-channel included email, direct mail, even marketing via fax in some cases, text message marketing, and to some degree online landing pages. Since then, it has evolved to become omnichannel marketing. The term personalization has become a major concern as data collection is now a native part of digital communication, and it is easier than ever to imagine and orchestrate bi-directional customer journeys, where customers' interactions with the company determine the next message they are sent. Direct marketers have therefore been using personalization since the beginning. Some would argue that we've left out the brand marketers here, but there's a good reason for that. Within brand marketing, personalization is of hardly any use. A company has its core brand story, and this shouldn't be different for different customers. Thus, it shouldn't be personalized. So, looking at these three branches within marketing, it's easy to see how each of them should be interested in personalization, since personalization allows marketers to show content to individuals that better fits their preferences and ultimately drives a better UX and better commercial results. However, looking at where they come from, there is also clear potential for them to misunderstand each other and perceive topics and goals very differently. This can lead to confusing conversations and, not surprisingly, sometimes also trouble collaborating on personalization. Is personalization worth it? It seems intuitive and logical that personalization creates a better customer experience and that this can lead to an increase in response rate and ultimately sales. However, there is still an ongoing discussion about whether personalization is worth it. Is the juice worth the squeeze? 
it does, after all, require some amount of work to conceptualize and produce the different content variants needed and to set up the software to do the matching and distribution. And in addition, there are out-of-pocket expenses for software licenses, e.g. for CMSs and marketing automation platforms. This is all needed to make sure that the right people get the most relevant content and that personalization is effective. If you manage this process poorly, then clearly you may waste time and money producing and distributing content variants for customers that make little or even no difference. Personalization has to be not only effective, but also efficient. In the previous chapter, we discussed the hype of personalization and saw how Gardner believes that personalization technology is moving forward through the hype cycle, now reaching the plateau of productivity. But even with Gardner, the aforementioned internal confusion between marketers seems to pop up. In a prediction in 2019, Gardner claimed that by 2025, some 80% of marketers will abandon personalization efforts due to data management issues, poor technology, and difficulties with proving a return on investment, ROI. Indeed, the idea of there being difficulties around proving ROI resonates with the proxy metrics in use by branding-oriented advertisers, part of the second branch of marketers discussed earlier. As we shall see in part three, data is truly one of the, if not the primary prerequisite for making personalization profitable. Also, reading between the lines, it could be that at least for the authors of the 2019 prediction, Gardner's perception of the term personalization is actually more like so-called hyper-personalization, where every interaction is very personalized. As we shall see in chapter 14, it most likely isn't realistic nor profitable to always aim for a hyper-personalized customer experience for all customers. The branding skeptics. Personalization has been met with criticism not only from research companies, but also from within the professional marketing community itself. We get the eerie feeling that sometimes there is an element of clickbaiting at play here. But let's see what one prominent article has to say. Personally, we found it both very interesting and at first glance quite discouraging when in May 2022, we stumbled upon an article in Marketing Week with the title, Forget Personalization, It's Impossible and It Doesn't Work. We had just started work on this book and we were met with the claim that personalization is impossible and we should just forget about it. But before abandoning the book project altogether, we decided to actually read the article. The two authors of the article aren't nobodies. Both have substantial followings on Twitter and LinkedIn and have been working at LinkedIn for a decade or so. In the article, their claim basically seems to be that even though personalization ought to be the best thing since sliced bread, one, poor data quality voids the feasibility of personalization altogether. Two, third-party data is broken. Three, you'll never get a full picture of any customer. Four, it's expensive to produce one piece of content per end customer. But reading between the lines, we felt the article's focus was primarily on advertising and more specifically brand advertising, a discipline where we fully agree that personalization isn't the obvious choice of tactics. Furthermore, the article primarily uses business-to-business -business examples to prove that third-party advertising data, we'll learn more about different data types in chapter 15, is broken. Historically, third-party data has been much better at tracking and profiling consumers and thus at supporting business-to-consumer companies in their advertising efforts. Although, with the latest focus on privacy and with third-party cookies slowly becoming extinct, this also seems to be coming to an end. So, it seems to us that the authors had their own view on personalization and were of the opinion that within their particular field, personalization wasn't working for them. But it wasn't clear that the headline didn't necessarily apply to all things personalization, and perhaps not even to the authors. On a side note, 
we can't help but suspect the authors were aware of this and partly wanted to create a headline that would turn heads and make people react. Once an ad person. The takeaway here is that while these authors had one perception of the topic of personalization, we personally come from different backgrounds, namely the two other branches of marketing, where first-party customer data and owned media, such as email, web, SMS, and apps, are dominating the scene. So having dived deep into the arguments of the skeptics, we decided to continue our book project. We need a clear definition of personalization now. It is clear then that there are numerous perceptions of personalization pointing in many different directions all at once. So what then is personalization really? Is it a hoax that we should forget about? Or is the hype that technology vendors seem to suggest exists in fact real? What is the true nuanced picture here? As marketers, we need this book to gain a better and common understanding of the term personalization. Only then can we avoid the pitfalls of bad and excessive overinvestments in both tech and people and create truly profitable personalization while keeping customers happy and not jeopardizing long-term business opportunities. Not until we have found this understanding can we expect people outside marketing to make informed decisions about when to invest in personalization as opposed to totally different investment opportunities such as opening a new store or sourcing or developing other products. Not until we have this understanding can we expect people to take personalization seriously. Thank you for listening in on this episode of Hello First Name. Remember that all models and even a written abstract of the book are available for download. You'll find the link in the show notes. In our next episode, which is a more classic podcast style, we'll be discussing the problem of personalization with Mikela Svane, former CMO at Tivoli, CCO at Roskilde Festival, and Danish CMO of the Year in 2020.